This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Welcome to the Mark Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Heidman. And I'm Kelly King. Last summer, we were able to provide the full teaching sessions for Jen Wilkins, the Sermon on the Mount Bible Study, right here on the Mark Podcast. We heard from so many of you that you loved that content and you wanted to hear more like it. So for the next eight weeks, we are going to do Kelly Mentor's All Things New Bible Study together. We'll release the audio of one teaching session per week right here on the Mark Podcast. All Things New is one of several Bible studies Kelly Minter has published with LifeWay, and she has graciously granted us permission to play the audio here. Please note that this is copyrighted material, so we ask that you not reproduce it. Now before we dive in, know that the teachings in these sessions expand on the work that you'll do in the Bible study book. So for the full impact of the study, you'll want to get the Bible study workbook. You can purchase the book at LifeWay.com slash AllThingsNew. We have a sample session there if you want to use it while you wait for your book to come in the mail. These audio teaching sessions will be available for a limited time due to copyright restrictions. We will leave the audio up until April 30th. We hope that gives you time to get the book and study along with us. Over eight sessions, Kelly Minter is going to lead us through the letter of 2 Corinthians, exploring the anchoring truths of bearing treasures in jars of clay, meeting Christ through a pressing thorn, opening wide your heart in the midst of hurtful relationships, and what it means to embrace the lost and lonely as ministers of the new covenant. Each of us has a message to proclaim and live by. Because of Jesus, the old has gone and the new has come. Now, here's Kelly Minter. When I started this study with you all all those weeks ago, and I was encouraging you to stick with it, the deepest place of my heart, I I really, really hoped that you would stick all the way with it and all the way through it. Because like I said at the beginning, I was so drawn to the letter of 2 Corinthians based on all the things that I already knew and loved about the letter. But it was all the things that I didn't know about the letter that have just blown my mind and changed me and encouraged me and challenged me and inspired me. And I wanted you to get every single bit of that. And I have no doubt because you have the Holy Spirit living inside you that you got way more than any of the stuff that I put down because he's just gonna show you what you need to see when you need to see it. But my heart was that, oh, I want them to see this and I want them to see that and I want them to get this. And oh, and then I hope they make it to chapter 10 and then 11 and all that and you guys did it and you're here. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that you're here and you've completed the book. And so what I wanna do in our final session together is I wanna focus on relationships which might seem a little bit strange, but I'll explain where I'm headed with this. People will tell you, scholars will tell you, that 2 Corinthians was Paul's most personal letter. I mean, just so raw. Uh, We see Paul grieving in tears over the Corinthians. We see him um, passionate. We see him stooping to boasting, which he didn't even want to do. 
You know, we just see him pleading with them. We see him appealing. He's used every possible tactic all under the reign of the Holy Spirit to keep that relationship with the Corinthians, to let them know how much he loves them. And there's so much in this book about basically how to do relationships. I don't think that was the point of the letter, but when you go through it and you study everything, you just begin to grab all these little, like, ooh, I should try that. Oh, yeah, that person that, yeah, oh, I'm going to try that little thing. There's all this stuff that you get about relationships. And it's not just about the relationships that are easy for you. Uh, the Corinthians were not easy for Paul. This was sort of like the problem child. You know, the Corinthians were like just one big problem child, but that one that you just love. And half the time, you don't know why you love that one, because they're the problem one, but you just love them. You just do. There's just something about them that you love, and that's how I feel like the Corinthians were for Paul. They were not his easiest church. They were not, his mo they were not the most obedient church. And yet you can tell out of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you have this whole body of work, how much he loved them. So I just want to do, I just want to take just a couple little highlights, like little relational nuggets, tips, things that we can go home with, that we can go back into our real lives with, our real relationships, because remember this was written to a real city with real people. Just some stuff we can take home that I think is really, really practical. So would you look at verses 14 and 15 of chapter 12. As you turn to your Bible, chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, and we know that in this text, Paul is sort of defending why he did not take support from the Corinthians. He didn't want to become a burden to them. They, they, they were mad at him even for that. It's like he, Paul couldn't catch a break. You know, if he, if he took money from them, they were going to be mad, and he didn't take money, and they're mad. You know, it's just hard stuff. But... Let's look at verses 14 and 15. This is really rich. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time. And I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? We, we see in verse 14 that Paul says, listen, I'm not after your possessions, I'm after you. And this is powerful because we would hope that this would be the case. But sometimes, if we're honest, in relationship, we're not always after the person. We're after what they can do for us or what they can give us, um, how they can benefit us in some way. And, I, and this, is, this is simple stuff, but this is hard stuff to implement. And I think how would our relationships look, how different would they look if people really sensed that we were in relationship with them because we wanted them, not their stuff, not their status, not what they could give us back. And remember, Corinth had a lot of wealthy and influential people. So it would have been easy for Paul to have minister to them, also in the back of his mind thinking, and it would be really cool if I could do that Bible study on that golf course, or at that spa that that guy in Corinth owns, you know? Or maybe somebody will slip me a really nice honorarium, or maybe I'll get in with these people. You can kind of have this, these mixed motives, 
Paul says, I'm not taking support from you because I don't care about what you can give me. All I care about is you. Wouldn't that be cool if people really got that from us? In our homes, in our workspaces, in our friendships. We want to desire people not what they have or what they can do for us. And then in verse 15, this was so cool. He says, um, I will gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. So I had to read that like a few different times. Sometimes, Paul, I have to read lots. Nobody do I have to read more than John. When I wrote that study on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, I had to read him 150 times. Paul is just like three or four sometimes, but I'm like, okay, you're going to you're gladly spend everything you have and you will be spent. And I realized, oh, oh, there's a difference here. The first is to give what you have. The second is to give who you are. And honestly, both are hard. I'm not going to say either one is easy, but sometimes we can give what we have easier than we can give who we are. How would our relationships change if we were able to not just be willing to spend for people, but to be spent for them? Okay, let's look at verses 19 through 21. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, faction, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. But what I think is fascinating here is when Paul says in verse 19, everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. And so that's just kind of another nugget there, is how, how often am I actually looking to strengthen other people in my life? You know, we get so busy, and we have these very long agendas, and we just, really at the end of the day, we just need people to do what we need them to do, right? <laughs> you know? I mean, and I'm not, even, I'm not even a mom. I can't even fathom you know, I can't even fathom. I, I, I've got all my nieces and nephews running around sometimes, and sometimes it just, all, you just need them to get in the car seat and put their buckle on, or you just need them to brush their teeth. You, or if you've got an office, you just need your coworkers to do what you need them to do, or the people that work for you. Just, just people, husbands, friends, just do what I need you to do. But what if we thought about how to strengthen other people's by what we do? I thought, this is, I mean, these are all just, I mean, these are just sitting out here. I don't even have to work for these. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, all I can do is just kind of repeat Paul this whole time because they're just, I can't even, you can't improve upon any of this stuff. It's just sitting here, this is low-hanging fruit. Everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. You know, I think whether it's the lost world, like the detractors in Corinth, or it's confused believers, I think if we really could come to them and they sense that we were working for their strength, I think the world would, I think much more of the world would run to the gospel. And I think those who are on the fence and those who have one foot in, one foot out, I think they would run. If they really sensed that we were not after what they could do for us, what they could give us, how they would make us look, but if we really, if they really sensed that we wanted to strengthen them, 
that was really cool. Well, there were three fears that Paul had about visiting Corinth. We read them, but basically the first one is he, he was concerned that he and the Corinthians would be a disappointment to one another. Because remember, he hadn't seen them in a while. He had heard, as we studied in our study, that, that they weren't doing so well, but then in other ways they were doing well, and it was kind of this up and down thing, and, and it was, he was nervous. He was nervous that they would be a disappointment to one another. He also was concerned that he would find them in divisive relationships. And he was concerned that they wouldn't be repentant for their blatant wrongs. And I don't know if any of you all have experienced that before, but where you haven't seen someone in a long time, and you're just worried. It, just like Paul, you're worried that you're going to be a disappointment to them. You're worried that they might be a disappointment to you. You're concerned that you may not find them as you hoped that you would. And we see Paul come in great humility in the middle of that, but also great strength, which I want us to look at. Chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, because that's daunting. But here's what he says. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others. Okay. This can seem a little intense and a little harsh, but we're going to work it through. Paul says, all right, first of all, we're going to establish everything in the presence of two or three witnesses. This is uh, something that he's grabbing from the Old Testament, but it's such a great practice. Uh, Paul is not going to jump to conclusions here. Because, you know, when you're away from something, or, or maybe, maybe you're not even away long distance, but it's something that has happened and you've heard some rumors or some gossip and you're not sure, and then the rumor mill gets started, and you have already created in your mind, you know, you have convinced yourself that you know exactly what is going on. Anybody, I, or do I, it's just me that does that all the time. <laughs> we can concoct these things in our own minds. And Paul says, listen, on my third visit, first of all, I just want to let you know, we're not going to do that, okay? I'm not going to just jump to conclusions. I'm going to establish everything with some witnesses. And so just a few words about confrontation here. First, it's, it's very important, as we know, not to jump to conclusions. Okay? I know that's so simple, but I need to be reminded of this all the time. I have one friend in particular who, she is my very measured friend. And I will call her and I'll be like, bah, 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 and I'll like painted this whole entire picture. And she'll be like, yeah, you know what? You don't know that. And I'm like, no, but I do. <laughs> no, you don't, you don't know that. Okay, well, this is what I think I need to do. And blah, 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 blah. well, maybe you should just wait. Maybe just take some time. Maybe pray about it. She's, you, if you don't have a measured friend, go get yourself at least one measured friend. You don't need tons of them, but just one <laughs> will do it. So inviting other people into the process protects us from rush judgments, okay? So let's make sure that if there's any type of confrontation in relationships, invite some other people into the process, protects you from rush judgments, not to mention the fact that it protects the accused party. I think Paul wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to go in and just go bonkers on someone who was totally innocent. You see, Paul's very measured. And then he says, on my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier. Now, that's where it feels a little rough. Like, woo, we haven't really seen this part of Paul. Paul, you've been so nice. 
<laughs> You've been so nice, this whole letter, so tender. What happened to the appealing and the meekness and gentleness of Christ? Well, at the end of 2 Corinthians 1, verse 23, Paul says at that point, he says, I did not come, I am not going to come to you because I'm sparing you. Remember, the Corinthians were upset that he hadn't come, and they were accusing him. You said you were going to come. You didn't come. And he said, I'm not coming because you all are in such turmoil that this is a bad time for me to come. And if I come, I'm just going to make you sad, and then who will there be to make me happy? And, and the reason I didn't come is not because I wasn't going to keep my word and not because I was trying to trick you, but I didn't come to spare you. And then there was a warning there's a letter. There's all these kinds of things. And now Paul has finally gotten to the point where it's like, okay, listen, if this stuff is still going on, this time it's for real. You know? And here, here's what I like about this. First of all, in confrontation, timing is important, right? Timing is really important. Back in chapter one, wasn't the right time for Paul to go. Now, again, if you're like me, if there's an unrest in relationships, or there's something that's unsettled, I'm like, let's just, let's just go and deal with it. Let's get this done. Let's head on. Let's take care of it. You know, and sometimes, that's, sometimes that can be good, and sometimes the best thing is to chill out. And I'm not good at that. And sometimes you just have to be patient. Timing is very important when it comes to our relationships, and especially when it comes to any kind of confrontation. Well, when we say timing is important, what does that also naturally mean? Patience. <laughs> Patience. Let some things ride out. But now Paul says, this time I'm going to act. And it seems harsh. But let me ask you this. Have you ever worked under someone's leadership who never dealt with what needed to be dealt with? Have you ever been around people that had a place of authority and they never acted? It is awful. And it is frustrating. You don't feel cared for. You don't feel defended. You don't feel led. So while we look at this and we might think at this point this is harsh, first of all, remember all the patience and the long suffering that Paul has had. And also let's remember we want to be under the leadership of someone who will act when they need to act. And so we learn that a wise person doesn't act too hastily, but will act when needed. A wise person doesn't act too hastily, but will act when needed. And I think that that's really important. And that's something that the Lord is growing me in, because I don't like confrontation. And so it's weird, as I'm talking about this, I'm realizing I'm kind of bad on, really on both ends, because I'm not very patient or very measured, and I don't like to confront. So I don't even know where that puts me, but just in a bad place. But, uh, but I'm going to try to, I'm going to, through God's grace, right? This is not us trying to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but by God's grace, might we be better at knowing when we need to be patient and we need to wait, and when we need to step in and deal with some things. I sat with someone recently, a believer, and in blatant sin. I mean, like acknowledged it. And I was wrestling through the whole time between these two. It was this tension saying, Holy Spirit, lead me. 
Holy Spirit, let me be patient. Help my timing. Let me come in that meekness and that gentleness of Jesus Christ. And do not let me leave this table without looking this person in the eye and saying, this is wrong. And this is not according to God's word. And, and you, I want you to be blessed. I want you to be blessed. So do the right thing. Because it's for your good. And I've done the wrong thing. And I know from experience. One lady's like, yeah, I know. Mm. Do, you see the, do you see that tension? And so we have to let the Holy Spirit lead us in all of this. begin to start to wrap up here with verses 7 through 10 of chapter 13. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong, and our prayer is for your perfection. This is why I write these things when I am absent. That when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. I love that Paul's saying, listen, I want you guys to pass the test. I, basically, I want you to, to shine in the obedience of Jesus Christ, even if it looks like somehow I have failed and all my people have failed. It's verse 7. Paul cares far more about the Corinthians than he does about his own reputation. Whoa. You guys, this is hard. Because there are some times when, you know, ministry is never supposed to be about us. But it just, it, it just, we just sometimes make it about us and we don't even realize it. And the times that I've realized sometimes that I've made ministry about me is when I walk into a situation and I realize, okay, I'm going to have an opportunity to minister here, but it might be a situation that just doesn't make me look the best. You know? And we have to, you walk into a situation and you go, oh, okay, well, I've got to set my reputation aside. I'm not talking about anything that would make us look like we're in sin or anything. I don't mean that. But just where you just go, okay, so I'm not going to look real cool here. You know? I'm not going to come up. I am not going to look like, I mean, I'm not going to have the filter of Instagram on this one. You know what I'm saying? But it's going to be a blessing to someone else. It's going to make somebody else shine. And, and this is just the coolest thing ever, that here near the whole end of the book, Paul goes, honestly, guys, I'm not, it, this is not about my reputation at all. Even if it looks like I failed in some way, I don't care just as long as you guys are right in Jesus Christ. That's what I care about. Can you imagine how much more freed we'd be in all of our relationships and in our ministries if we set aside our pride and our reputations and our agenda and just solely did what needed to be done based on the success of others? And then... Um, I love that. Paul says, we're glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. We're saying, how many, how many of us can say that? I bet you that there are some mothers in the room that could say that about their kids. You know, even 
when I'm weak, as long as through my weakness you are being made strong, I'm okay. I'm happy. There might be some who can say that about their spouses or about a dear friend. Maybe about someone you're supporting in ministry. Maybe about a coworker. This is a hard thing, but as believers, we've experienced it at times, haven't we? We are almost taken aback where we go, oh my goodness, I'm so weak in this and I'm so broken in this, but this other person who I love is, is shining as a result and I'm good with that. That's when you really know that Jesus Christ has got you, you know? And then lastly, and this is a repeat from a prior week, but Paul has said it twice, so I'm going to say it twice. But he says at the very end of verse 10, the authority the Lord gave me for building you is for building you up, not for tearing you down. Remember, authority is always given, spiritual authority is always given by God for others. It's a gift from God for other people. It's not a gift from God for us to assert our agenda and be on power trips and rule. No, it's a gift from God for others. And then Paul has said it already at least twice. The authority I have is given from God not to tear you down, but to build you up. Wow. If we could do half this in our homes, in those difficult relationships, what about those people that are so difficult for you? What if instead of looking for ways that you can catch them in their sin, catch them in their mistakes, trip them up, what if instead you look for ways that you could strengthen them Look for ways that you could build them up. Look for ways to increase their joy for their success in Jesus Christ. I, I want to tell you, this, pa Paul's letter, obviously through the power of Jesus Christ, this has changed me. This has cha actually physically changed some of my relationships. Now, I don't know if the people around me have been able to tell yet <laughs> how much I've changed. But it really has changed me. Unbelievers and believers alike. People I know really, really well and people I don't know. I'm thinking about the way that Paul has done things under the grace and lordship of Christ. And it has changed my responses and my reactions and my gut instinct. And so I'm just so excited that we're all here because I know it's changed you too. All right. I really am going to close. I skipped over verse 5 on purpose. Chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Now, I don't read that verse to invoke fear in anyone. But it is one of the last questions that Paul asks, if not the last question that he asks in 2 Corinthians. And it's a question to say, are you really in Jesus Christ? Now, that whole idea of failing the test, uh, the, the, the idea of, of, of testing here is just simply to, to discover the nature of something. To examine something to determine its genuineness. It's all Paul's asking. He says, listen, I just want you to really look at your life and make sure 
that you are in Jesus, that you are his, that you've given your life to him. I believe that the reason that Paul is asking this question is because there has been so much sin in Corinth. There has been so much divisiveness. There's been some horrible things going on. And so all the way at the very end of the letter, he says, just would you take some time to really look at your life? This is not to invoke fear or to make anyone who is in Christ wonder if you're in Christ. That would be to miss it totally. But a few of the things you can ask yourself. Do you care about the things of the Lord? Do you want to please him? Does that matter to you? Does sin bother you? Do you ever sense the tugging of the Holy Spirit in a certain situation? Are you trusting solely in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you live for your own passions and desires, or do you have a desire for the things of God and his kingdom? There's just a few things to kind of ask yourself. Would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 and 2? I felt very strongly. I felt very strongly that I wanted to end with the gospel. Because this whole letter is really the fruit of the gospel. And Paul says in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time of God's favor. I have this little memory game that I like to play with my niece and nephew, and we call it the Raven game. And I picked it up when I was overseas, and the whole game is in German, so I really don't know what the name of the game is called. <laughs> but it's this memory game, and you're kind of playing against one another, but ultimately, all of you are playing against the Raven, okay? So the Raven's on a separate board, and and if you roll the raven, he gets to move. And if he gets to his little house before you've gotten all the matches up, the raven beats you, okay? It's a very intense game. So Will and Harper and I, we play the raven game together. And we usually win because we're pretty good. I'm just going to say. And little sweet Will, sweetest, tenderest child you've ever met. Harper is different. Child. <laughs> They're both equally dear to me. But first roll, Will rolls the raven. Kelly, but there's still time, right? We still have time. Oh, yeah, buddy, we've got time. Oh, yeah, no problem. We totally, we've got time. No, don't even worry about that roll. Harper rolls the raven. Will, but Aunt Kelly, we still have time, right? We've got time. Oh yeah, we've got time. Oh yeah, yeah. No, we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get some colors. We're gonna get some matches. We're fine. I roll. The Raven. Raven's getting closer to the house. But Aunt Kelly, we still have time, right? Okay, yeah. I mean, we, but somebody needs to roll a color. Okay, don't roll the Raven <laughs> again. Okay. And then, you know, we roll a few colors, get a couple matches, and then somebody rolls the raven, and then Harper, she's like, the raven's going to win. Like, it's so intense, okay? 
And she's like, it's beating us. It's getting close, you know. And then we're, I mean, he's like down to the wire and Will rolls, you know, the raven again. He goes, but, but Kelly, we still have time, right? And I'm like, no, Will, we don't have any more time, okay? No, we don't have time. We're out of time. The raven's about to win. So I get to chapter six of 2 Corinthians. Now's the day. Now's the time. Is there time? I don't know. Maybe there's time, but all Paul's saying is today's the day. So don't think about if there's more time. Because today's the day of salvation. Now's the time. Why is now the time of God's favor? Why is today the day of salvation? Because for those of you who have not trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I can say this because you are still breathing. And because Jesus has not returned yet, it's the day of his favor. It's the day of salvation. It's time right now. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Man. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might be rich. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. How is the veil taken away? It is taken away in Christ. If you have not put your full trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can join with me in this prayer. And it's a prayer to simply turn to the Lord. We're not going to make this hard. To simply admit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus Christ is that Savior. And the scriptures say that when you call on him, he covers you in his righteousness. He forgives you of your sin. We are reconciled as we learned about. What does that mean? It means that we are brought back into peace with God because our sin no longer separates us. If that is what you want, to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ today, because today is the day, would you join me in this prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that you love me so deeply that you sent your son Jesus to literally be a sin offering for me. You did this so that I could become the very righteousness of God. You did this so I would no longer have to be separated from you in my sin. You did this so that I could experience all the riches of what it means to be in Jesus. Today I turn to you and you alone for the forgiveness of my sins, for the righteousness of God, for eternal life in heaven, and for the freedom I have always longed for, for where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we will thank you for your salvation in Jesus' name and in Jesus' name alone. Amen. 
you all, we've been on a journey together. If you prayed that prayer, I want to speak our theme verse over you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and you're on that journey of sanctification, I want to remind you that you are a new creation, and the old is gone, and the new has come. It has been one of the greatest privileges, truly, of my life to have journeyed through this book with you, and I'm so thankful to have done it. Thank you for listening to the Mark Podcast. We'll be releasing all eight teaching sessions of All Things New Bible Study right here on the podcast for the next eight weeks. As a reminder, we will leave the audio up until April 30th. Be sure to get a Bible study book, schedule some Zoom calls with your Bible study pals, and listen in. You can find all of Kelly Mentor's LifeWay Bible Studies by going to lifeway.com slash kellymentor. If you're loving this Bible study content like we are, let us know. Tag us at LifeWayWomen or use the hashtag MarkedPodcast on all your social media. Let us know what you're learning. If you like getting Bible study content this way, or if you have ideas for future episodes. We are so grateful you're listening and we want to know how to serve you well. Goodbye.